want to continue on our series, but it's our prayer this, through the series again isn't just about information, but it's about what, God, you're saying to us in, in your desire to continue to help us to grow and, and flow into the life of Christ. So the series uh, dealing with fences, because Jesus not only came into this world to save us, uh, to deliver, but he also came to deliver us and heal us. See, the power of Christ in us is not just about uh, saving us from the lake of fire. It's actually much bigger than that. Um, it's about his promise for us to be able to, come, to become his children, become children of God. And it's from taking us from slavery to freedom. We actually did a whole series before we came into this part. And, but Scripture tells us about this journey to freedom. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, therefore, and do not submit back again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, you can suddenly slip back and, and, and lose actually what God has placed in you. Really? Yeah. There's, there's a battle going on right now over our souls. And it continues even when you become a Christian. Do you believe that? It's called spiritual warfare. <laughs> you wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so the enemy is even actually this day trying to use his purpose. He goes, yes, I great, I understand. You now believe in Jesus. But now I still have a plan to try to thwart you from living in that. So... We're meant to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of us. And Jesus becomes the pattern and the power that we now live in. And we engage with the world and with one another the way Christ did. Jesus, has become, Jesus becomes our example. So Aaron started the series about God's command to love one another. That's the premise of dealing with fences is dealing with knowing there's a command to love one another. Some fences are good. Amen. A fence that God says to you, a boundary, a barrier is love. It's a good fence. Dave then next shared about another barrier that we face, which is dealing with the fence of blame. In fact, this is all throughout human nature and history. As Dave just unpacked, uh, as it becomes a barrier to our relationship with God and with one another, blame. And then Reuben shared about dealing with rejection. And Aaron last week regarding having Christ set our boundaries. What barriers have we placed that God does not want us to have? Godly boundaries. Well, today, this, this is one of the challenges that, uh, it's going to be unusual, but I, I'm going to explain as I pack it, unpack it more. We must face is dealing with betrayal. Let me explain. Jesus himself warned in Matthew 24, verse 3, he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, what will be the things, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of age? What's it going to be like near the end? And Jesus starts to tell, him, tell them, these are going to be the actual signs of the last days. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be, you know, earthquakes and famine. He's talk, he talks all these things, and he shares a, a pretty com- comprehensive list. But one of them we can miss, and it actually comes in verse 10. And Jesus, telling his disciples, he says this, see that no one leads you astray. Okay? Warning that you could be led this way. But this is what he says in verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Really? That's that's one of the signs of Jesus' 
coming back is suddenly betrayal actually becoming evident or prevalent in the world. Uh, Luke and Matthew do a little bit. They, ex- they have the same thing. Jesus talking to the disciples and talking to them about this. And they give a little bit more, actually. And they say this. The betrayal actually could be like this. Fathers turning on children and children turning on their parents. Those would be the signs. Really? Yeah. So when I'm talking about this dealing with betrayal, it's because of this. All of us understand the hurt and what it means to be betrayed. And, and, and I mean, it can come from the mildest of forms of a broken promise. Have you ever had a broken promise to you? Anyone in this room? If you don't put your hand up, I know you are all <laughs> breaking a promise to be, speak the truth, right? How many of you had a broken promise? Yes, we've all dealt with something that has happened. Now, those can be very mild. To I tend to always, you know, tend to be late for appointments. Ever had that? I betrayed your time. I'm sorry. It could be as mild as that. To all, to maybe the challenge of something very, very, very painful, of a broken vow in a marriage, or maybe even a business partner that has decided to leave with all the money. Or the challenge of being in a family. This, just in the family, there can be betrayal happening all the time. I was listening to one family, or a friend was sharing about how their family, they, they actually have difference in beliefs. That they have these different opinions and beliefs. And when they get together, this, this friend was sharing about how often they would leave in tears because the conversation would get to just be mean and nasty. You know what, it can actually get to as extreme as people that have actually gone through tremendous abuse. But you know what, the Bible is full of examples. God's people have to face betrayal. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Moses, yeah, Moses, had his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron turn on him. I was looking at Aaron, not because he, he doesn't betray me. Why, why don't you guys look at me like that? They're all like, I was just looking at, you know, you got, anyway. We also have this. We had David and his son Absalom, his son betraying a father. And then even in the New Testament, we see Paul had this, this man named Demas, and Demas had said he deserted him. It talks in 1 Timothy. And also Paul talking about Alexander the coppersmith, and he says, quote, who has done me much harm. But the greatest example of, of someone who has faced betrayal has actually been this. It's been our Lord Jesus Christ himself with Judas. You see, the power of betrayal is what it causes incredible serious wounds that actually can leave scars that can hinder. And we can speculate, why does this happen? Why do we betray one another? What is, we can ask those questions, but I often find that it's, it's not helpful. But what we want is this. We want to be like Stephen. Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen, while in the midst of being accused and going through tremendous suffering, in fact, he was even literally being killed. What happens with Stephen is he's full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit, being able to see Jesus in the midst of this and even say, forgive them for their sins. That's 
the life that, that Stephen was encountered, that even in the midst of that sort of intense betrayal or intense stuff, he could say, I see Jesus. And his face shone like an angel while everyone around them were shaking and getting angrier. You see, this is the supernatural ability that we have in Christ that enables us to not allow what someone else has done to us or what something can happen determine the way you're going to live. You have a power that is greater than betrayal. So let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read this. Now, we're talking about dealing the fence of betrayal. Now, these verses are, are going to relate to it, and I'll explain in a few minutes, but i got a few of them, so let's read. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. They're up on the screen, and you can follow along with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to jump down to verse 9, because he shares some life about how we're, the gifts and stuff that we have together, but in verse 9 he comes back and he says this, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Oh man, he keeps going. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if it's all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, I just want to ask that right now that these words would now be infused into our spirit. I'm asking you, Jesus, to not just make them uh, platitudes, but Lord, I want your love. I want you to surround us this morning with the realities of where you're taking us in your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Now these, these verses summarize the response to God's grace, and they serve as Paul's exhortations. Paul just gave you a bunch of lists of, hey, this is what it should look like as Christians following Jesus. And what Paul is writing could be paraphrased. If I was trying to put that chapter 12 in a, in a paraphrase, this is what it would look like. It would sound like this. Dedicated to God, and in this are the keys to living. And in these keys to living, Paul does something in that I found extremely interesting. He's actually helping us on how to deal with betrayal. Really? Really normal? I, I didn't hear the word betrayal once in that sentence. But I'll unpack for you what it means. 
This, these verses were so profound because he's talking about what you have just received in Christ. What does it mean living it out? How do you live it out? Although these verses don't... Let's, now, let's, I want to do this. I'm going to start by giving you Paul's how to deal with betrayal. The first he says is this. In, in, in his verses, he talks about, and I'm going to just call it this way, have a godly perspective. In verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the name, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good will of God, what is good and, and acceptable and perfect. So have a godly perspective. How do, you be, how do you deal with betrayal? First of all, Paul is addressing something. He says, I want you to have a godly perspective. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a perspective is very neat because a perspective can change everything. Literally, if you have a perspective that is like literally this, you cannot see the forest between the trees, it's very frustrating. You don't get all of the, all of the picture. Now, a couple weeks ago, I went to Kenya with Ron. And we were in Kenya, and it was gorgeous. It's beautiful. The green, the sun, it was just beautiful. And what happened was this, is then somebody said, yeah, but you haven't, have you been to the tea garden? And I went, the tea garden? Oh, Norm, you've got to see the tea garden. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, this looks pretty, but wait till you see the tea garden. So now it's etched in my brain out of all the things that we've got to do, I've got to go see this tea garden because this is really pretty. What could the tea garden ever give? So I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to show you this cool little, uh, just click over one more time, I think, Ben. No, no. Nope. It should be over. Over. Oh, I don't know where you're going. Click on the button to move the next one. How about that? Click. Click. There it is. Look, it's over there. Yay! It's pulled up. Okay, let's give this. This was what happened. I walked up to this, uh, up this little hill. It was a road, and I could see only the trees. I was like, well, the tea gardens, and I look boring, until I came up to the top, and this is what I saw. And suddenly, I started doing a 360 view because it was on top of the hill, on the very top that I could see the rolling hills of Kenya and the green. I mean, this does not do it justice. I had to put it on YouTube. The green was absolutely vibrant. And then there were these birds cruising around through it. And I'm looking at the red soil of Kenya. And I was like, oh, my word. I, I, I literally just went, hallelujah. I, I was. I was yelling at the top of my lungs. And people thought, what are you? Well, this vista compared to me a week ago being in uh, um, a little bit more flatter lands, shall we say. I, I was just reflecting how I came from Manitoba. And Manitoba, how much green did we see about three weeks ago? And, and, and my vista was like, I just thought, oh, it's dry. It's kind of dreary. Oh, and I just felt, oh, I weighed it down. Well, now, suddenly, I have a different view and a different vantage, and it totally changes everything. I am literally praising God for trees and green. Have you ever had that? No, none of you have. No, you've never done that. Well, you see, this is what it means, is to have a visual or to have a perspective. Uh, Davy McLean, he's, he was uh, Ron McLean's 
uh, brother has this great blog that he does for men. It's, he calls it, How's the Viz? What it means is, How's the Visual? Because Davy gives this wonderful uh, illustration of what it's like when he, in, in, in B.C., climbs a mountain. And when you're on the top of the mountain, suddenly you see the vista and all that's surrounded. But as you're climbing up the trees, you don't, sometimes you can't see it. Sometimes you're not able to see the actual visit of the beauty and all that until you're up at the top. And so Davy made this question. He goes, how's the viz? And it was a question to men saying, where's your, which, where's your eyes right now? Are you looking down and, and seeing the things that, uh, that might have be like, you know, just things that are, that are stealing away from what you actually have in Christ? What you've received. So he asked this question in his blog post to men. How's the viz? What's your vision like? You know, we can put our eyes on a bunch of cruds and a bunch of ugly, stupid things. It's true. Uh, I, I find it a challenge to watch Netflix. I find it a challenge because often the crud, you can't avoid it. We were having this discussion about how the stuff that's now in your visual, and it's almost like the devil's desire to just get her focus on everything that's ugly. What's your vision? Well, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in other words, the international version says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In other words, from chapter 1 of Romans right up to chapter 11, you have heard all that God has done, how he died on a cross for you, how he has actually taken all of your and righteousness now placed on your righteousness is like filthy rags, but is now his righteousness placed on you. And you even get to Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that the spirit of the living God is placed in you that you can cry, Abba, Father. And you know what? You are more than conquerors through him. That's all chapter 8. He now gets to this. He goes, I'm reading the entire book. And he goes, therefore, in view of all of this, what's your response? What's, what do you, if you got your eyes on what Jesus has done, what's your response? And it's important because the challenge, when you're dealing with betrayal, when you're dealing with stuff, when you have had stuff happen to you, what is normally our response? I, I don't know about you, if you've ever dealt with betrayal or you've done something where you feel like something has happened, it feels like this, that suddenly your, your brain gets stuck. You're trying not to think about it, but as you do, the more you actually think about it. You ever had that? And then what happens is this, it becomes like instant replay on a hockey game in slow motion. You ever had that? That suddenly something has happened and it's just going through your brain and it's an instant slow motion like, I can't believe that just, and what, and then, and, and I can't, and then, and then the funny thing is you, when you think you've got it over, like you have dealt with it. That betrayal has been no, no longer there and suddenly you walk around the corner and you see the person or you see something that reminds you of it again and boom, all of those thoughts come back again. Ever have that? Pain and oh, oh I can't believe that this. 
It's almost like you feel it. Oh, yeah, I'm healed. I'm healed. And all of a sudden, like a scab that's picked off, you see the wound. But the, the scary part about this is some of us have been so wounded that we are not even aware of it. It's actually part of our DNA now. Because that abuse or that, that betrayal was so deep that you just carry it as almost like it's a part of you. That wound is so much there. See, the question that Paul is trying to ask, he's saying, and what we're trying to work through is, we want to be free again. We want to live the life that we're meant to live in Christ, not being bound by these things. But how? And Paul offers a really unpleasant thought. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's how you deal with betrayal? That's how you deal with stuff that's thrown at you? Yeah, you're going to surrender. It's a crazy language because we're in the New Testament and yet Paul's using Old Testament language now. He's referring to something that they knew how they were to interact with God all the time. Something would die in order for God to be appeased or to deal with sin. And here, he's talking to about it in New Testament Christians. In fact, the word bodies refers to Christians as in our whole person, for both body and soul belong to God. You are to become a living sacrifice, which is really wild because he's saying, God's not saying you have to die literally, Because Jesus died, literally. But now there is an act of sacrifice that you're you're engaging in. I want to tell you something. Sacrifice in North America is not a good word. Especially when we're on the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that what what we want? Pleasures and what we're looking after. It's about me, myself, and how I feel good. And then suddenly God says, I'm going to throw something that's totally opposite Offer your body, your whole being as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is a spiritual act of worship. Now again, recognize, because Paul's going to do a continuation, he says this, this is your going to be your response to deal with it. But he recognizes there's something, there's a pattern going on. He says, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Why? Did you know, like I said, sacrifice is opposite to the way the world works? And Paul says, the enemy is going to say to you, "Um, hold on, Jesus loves. Jesus is great. He's not going to ask you to sacrifice. Come on. He did the sacrifice. In fact, this is so counter to, uh, like, about you, right? What would the world say? Let me give you a question. How does the world deal with betrayal? How, how, what would be their answer for you and I if you were d- betrayed? Revengeance. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. Romans 12, the idea, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't let the evil present age press you in. It, it threatens you to not think the way Christ wants you to think. And so we must resist its pressure. 
and we're made anew. We're actually meant to know that when we do this, we get the mind of, of God. In fact, the word, it's amazing, it's the Greek dokimizo, which means then you can test and approve what God's will is. It's the word dokimizo means this, it can be weighed out. Because when we are saying, God, I will not conform to this pattern, you then are going to let your will be made known to me. And I'll know it because it'll be weighed. You see, the the question that we're wrestling with is this. Where is God when all this stuff happened? See, what happens when you're betrayed? Or you're going through betrayal or going through stuff? The question that asks is, where are you, God? Has anyone ever asked that question in this room? Where are you, God? I have. Totally have. You see, I know what the Bible says. The Bible says the eyes of God are everywhere. He sees everything above and under the heavens In the midst of betrayal, actually, God sees it. He saw what's happening to his son, and we struggle that he allowed this. But the the pattern of this world then says, you know what, Norm? You can settle the score. Or, hey, you can make it right. Or, hey, you know what? You can get it even. You can actually do this because if God sees it and he's doing nothing then why don't you do something about it? So as you would said, what's, what's the recourse? Revenge. The offer that, this, that the world gives to us to deal with betrayal is, mostly, is, is usually revenge. Have you ever heard that? Anyone give you, hey, you can get them back. Okay, I'm not joking. I, I know I live by this because when I'm watching a hockey game and then when there's a bad call, I am like, betrayal! We need to get another call. Man, we can get them back, get them back. Come on, nobody ever. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a pagan. I apologize. You see, cons- not conforming to the pattern of the world is saying, Lord, what do I do with the idea that I have to deal with revenge? And so that's why in the end of the chapter, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals in your head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's, it's really tr- kind of quaint. Don't take revenge, just give it to God. And I know that's a nice idea, but this is actually sacrifice. When, you're, when you don't feel like it, because everything's saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I trust you. I trust you to make everything right. I don't have to play God right now. I don't have to be the one that's absolutely in control when bad things are going on. Because I actually put my trust and hope in you. This is what he's talking about. This is how it means to live in such a way that you're not being bound up by the things that other people even do to you. Or can do to you. And so with that, God's giving this liberation to say, I'm going to bring you actually to a new level of worship that's not dependent on even what other people do to you. 
if you're willing, to sacrifice you. And so I want to think of it like this. There was a person in the Bible that really illustrated this. His name was David, King David. You see, David did this. He decided to serve God, and by him, he even slew a giant. He helped free his people. And it was awesome. He's like thinking, yay, I've done a great job. And then the king says to him, Saul says, hey, why don't you come and play your harp for me? Oh, great. I'm, I get to play in the band. Worship team, way to go. They get up there and play. And while they're, while they're playing, the worship team, you know, he's doing his thing. Suddenly, Saul gets so full of anger and, in fact, murders. He picks up a spear and hurls it at this young lad. Well, what's David's response? Okay, keep playing. That's not the right tune. He, he, he actually just becomes excellent at dodging spears. I don't know about you, but at some point, he starts, when you think about it, people chucking spears at you. What's your response? Well, it even culminates to this. David, he's a man after God's own heart. He's not because he's perfect. He actually had done many sins. And we know God sees everything. He even sees the sins that David will do. And yet he calls him a man after God's own heart. Here's what happens. David catches Saul. Finally, Saul has been chasing him, wanting to kill him. And now David and his men are hiding in the back of a cave. And Saul comes to the cave to go to the bathroom. And now it's Saul alone and David with all of his men. And David's got a sword. And his buddies go, David, now is your chance. The Lord has given him to you. Take his life. Do it now. And what is David's response? I won't touch the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed. The guy's throwing spears at you. No. Because I recognize God in him. I recognize that he is made in the image of God. And I'm not the one in control. This is not my kingdom. I do not have to make myself become king. I will not do that. He's a man after God's own heart. And you can see why God would say, I will make your throne last forever because you won't fall into betrayal. Your response isn't vengeance. But here's the next part, which I think is very important because... Okay, I get it. I'm going to sacrifice, but how? How do I do this, Lord? And this is, Paul gets really crazy in this because I'll explain in a few minutes. I'm going to ask you, what is the worst kind of betrayal? What do you think? What do you think would be the worst kind of betrayal? There there was a psychologist got together and asked this question. What would be the worst form of, of betrayal? And they listed off the various things. Now, Obviously, they came into things like what would happen if you cheated on someone, murdered somebody. Uh, that what, it, what was They listed all these various things of stealing, um, using your power to abuse someone. They, they, they talked about leadership and, and, and betraying that power in there. They went through all of this. And then finally, one lady, her name was Brianne Brown, made this statement, and she made it in her book that it was absolutely profound. The worst, most insidious type of betrayal. And this is what she said. Now, there's an analogy that the psychologists were working about. What does it mean to be betrayed? And they were using this idea of a marble, marbles. And they were saying that it's like this. 
we have relationships, and relationships are built with trust. And it's like this. You put marbles in the jar. For everything that you do, you get trust is built. But you know, when you break that trust, it's like a marble's taken out. And at the end of the day, the question is, do you have more marbles in the jar than more marbles that are in? Or, you know, more marbles in than out, right? That's what it means to have faith. But what causes the person to suddenly take all the marbles and dump them on the ground? To say, I've had it, this is, I've, I can't do this anymore. What causes that? And this is what uh, Brown said. When we think about betrayal in terms of the marble jar metaphor, most of us think of that, like I said, it's what's going to cause this dumping of all the marbles. All terrible betrayals, definitely, but this is they were listening through of, you know, the worst betrayals at trust, sleeping with, best, sleeping with a friend, lying with, with lying or taking the money. But here's the, this is the betrayal that is the most insidious and so corrosive to trust. In fact, this betrayal usually happens long before the other ones, and this is what the betrayal is. The betrayal of disengagement, of not caring, of letting the connection go, of not being willing to devote time and effort to relationship. The word betrayal evokes experiences of cheating, breaking, lying, breaking of confidence, failing to defend that, but Those behaviors are certainly behaviors, but they're not the only form of betrayal. If I had to choose the form of betrayal that emerged the most frequent, and it leads to those, it's the most dangerous. It's the one of disengagement. Let me explain. It's when people we love or with whom we have a deep connection stop caring. They stop paying attention. They stop investing and fighting for the relationship. Trust begins to slip away and hurt starts seeping in. The betrayal begins when you stop caring. When we actually say, I don't really care. Does it make sense now when Paul writes in verse 9, which we got to, let love be genuine I hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to keep loving. Don't stop engaging in love. The most hideous betrayal you can do is when you stop caring. And so Paul is saying, listen, church, if you want to get away from any betrayal, any of that, the way to do it is to not stop loving. Now that's a challenge because what if you've been betrayed? How do I love someone who's betrayed me? Now, I'm going to throw a thought because this is how it works. God was speaking to me so profoundly, not about betraying, but realizing when I am not loving, I'm betraying those that I love. A couple, on, a couple nights ago, it was Wednesday, the youth were doing, they're going to have their worship band, their worship team. And we're really getting really busy right now. Like, we're finding we're busy, we're out every night, and we're just doing stuff, and we're going crazy. And, and all of a sudden, I had to drive Nathan to the worship team to the worship time here, and I'm, oh, great, I got to do this, okay. 
And I've been thinking about this message. What does it mean to stop caring and stop loving? But suddenly, I, God, the Holy Spirit just spoke on me. He said, I want you to do something. Because I was sitting there, and Jordan's been kind of, because we're so busy, he's just kind of on himself, doing his own. And I asked Jordan if I could use this illustration. He said, yes, Dad, you can. So I said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came on me and said, I don't want you to stop engaging in love. Okay? Because love is fervent. It's zealous. It, it doesn't quit. And I have given you my love. And I thought, I learned to Jordan. I said to Jordan, it was like the Holy Spirit was stopping me because I could right now say, no, I'm tired, I'm buzzy or whatever. I felt like the Lord said, no, ask Jordan to go for you with the drive. So we did. I, I said, Jordan, are you okay? Would you like to go for the drive with me to go pick up Nathan? Uh, okay, I guess. It's this little act of the Holy Spirit and listening to him. So I'm now driving with my youngest. He's 12 years old. And you know, 12, that, how do you talk? I don't know. But all of a sudden, we're in the car, and I don't know what happened, but like the, the light bulb went on, and he just started gibbering about his day. Yeah, my friends were doing it. And we had this amazing time. It was like this glorious time where I was me and my boy, but I could have missed it. I could have missed it because I wasn't going to engage. Because in our self-preserving life that we were so whatever, and we think, I don't, there's so many things in the life, and, and I'm tired. But Paul's telling something different. He's actually calling us higher, which is back to the sacrifice that you cannot do unless you're listening to the Spirit. And what happened was this on the end. I mean, this topped it off. I mean, they knew I, God's in the, in the car because what happened was this. As I finally was driving, I picked up Nathan. I'm driving, I'm like, how many of you guys would like to go to McDonald's for some ice cream? And instantly, it was like the heavens parted. We're going to the nth level. You know, as we're now e- eating ice cream because Dad's hearing, how about we continue this love fest? That they don't understand what was going on, other than me and the Holy Spirit trying to live this out. Don't stop loving. See, Jesus gives us a picture of God who forgives and shows us the way to live. The cross is saying, "I don't hold your sins against you." But even greater than the resurrection, or greater than the cross, is the resurrection. I'll explain, and I'm going to close on this thought. You see, and when I deal with betrayal, and I'm thinking about this, I'm going, God, I thank you that I can take it to the cross, but I forgot that Jesus also rose from the dead, and his resurrection is his life. But I'm going to show you something that was, I found very profound. Jesus, when he was resurrected, had a friend that betrayed him. In fact, he had denied him three times. And I love how Jesus responds to a friend who has failed him three times that promised that he would never fail. In fact, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't come back and say, "Ah, listen, I told you so. I told you I knew that you failed. I knew it. Didn't I not say that you would do this? Doesn't do that at all. His whole job and the desire, Jesus' heart, is for this, that there would be reconciliation and restoration. In fact, he even commissions Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's a little cut, like, uh, you, you know I, I love you. Feed my lambs. You haven't given up on me? You haven't given up on me. No. Peter, yeah? Do you love me? Oh, that hurts. 
Why are you asking me twice? You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my lambs. And come, follow me. He tells him the same thing he did at the very beginning when he met him. When he first saw him, he said, I don't stop loving. And I want that same kind of love. That regardless of betrayal, regardless of the things, I don't look for that. I have Jesus' love, Jesus' heart. And you know what? I get it. When you've been betrayed, it's tough. It's hard because you cannot. That replay of the mind keeps going. But you know what? When I actually say, God, I'm going to give this to you, he's the one that now takes it, cuts the ribbon or erases the hard drive and actually brings us into a place of freedom that we cannot express. When I was in Kenya, they were asking me, how did you become of salt and light? How did you get here? Norm, how did you get a part of this church? And I told him my journey actually was very painful. What no one knows was that 15 years ago, I was a youth pastor. And and that's youth pastor as I was ministering. But I actually got really, really hurt actually at church. In fact, I was almost done with church. Because I thought maybe if, as I was serving and I was doing this, I was getting really burnt out. And I said, if this is what church is about, I want to, I don't want this. But it was neat in that God met me in that place to say, but I've called you. And you know what was neat? He actually had to deal with some of the things that I had felt betrayed on. I think there's a lot of people that probably don't go to church because they feel, well, would they accept me? Would they love me? What would they be like? And maybe, or maybe I've betrayed God, or maybe I've done this, or they've been hurt. You ever have, know anyone like that? I love it because this, God says, I so want you to come into the freedom and the joy that I have for you, my life, that we can deal with even betrayal. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. This is going to be really crazy, but I, I, as they do this, I just want to be very uh, sensitive to this because uh, I am not, I'm not, uh, it, this is a hard word because I think there are many people that have serious, serious betrayals. You have faced or experienced lots of pain because of it. But I felt like the Lord just wanted to challenge something of this and say, do you believe that I can actually bring freedom from those today? You see, because I believe a world would say to them, just be held in that betrayal or wait for revenge. And I have a, we have a different message that says, no, actually what you do is you offer your body as a living sacrifice. You actually say, God, here am I. And what happens is this. He then takes it and he fills you with love. And he helps you. The other part I also believe is this. Some of you are the challenges re-engaging with love again. Because when you, when, you, when you are kind of feeling like it's like, ugh, I, I don't even realize how disengaged I am. Until the Holy Spirit says, have you stopped loving really passionately? 
And I, I want to pray for two things, for these, those two things. It's just one, if you are needing that healing today. But the other one is this, if you want a fresh love. Fresh and vigorous love. So, if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, I ask you right now for your power to made, be made perfect in our, peak, in our weakness. Because Lord, I, did, I know you didn't just come to die on a cross so that we'd be saved, but you'd actually bring us healing and wholeness and that we don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Father, I'm not being a prophet of doom. I actually know that we will face betrayal. Lord, just as I did a couple years and how many years ago, and yet, Lord, thank you for your power to overcome that and to overcome, Lord, the things that happen. Now, Lord, I speak to right now those that are still feel the chains of being betrayed. Lord, I want to ask that you would help this morning to set us free, to help that, that, Lord, that ability for us to say, I'm going to offer you a sacrifice, my whole body, my soul, and even this to you again, Lord. I want to give it to you. Lord, I give up control. I want to give up just that pain because I actually want freedom. I am not wanting this tape to be keep rewinding. And maybe if there's someone right now, as I was saying that, you have a thought that's going through your head, you would just say, Lord, I want to give this to you right now. If it's a person or a memory or a thought, whatever that is, that you just feel is holding you, we just want to give that to the Lord. And so, Lord, I just thank you as we do that right now. You just, your promise is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. And God, I want to believe that you would literally cut and take that out. Even today, there'd be, ah, oh, thank you, God, I'm not carrying that weight. I don't want that weight anymore of being betrayed. And finally, Lord, I want to lift up myself. I want to lift up us as a church, the Lord, to not act in the hardest betrayal is, Lord, losing our engagement of love. Lord, I want to ask that you would help us to hear the Holy Spirit in a new capacity to love. To love that is such an amazing, Lord, a way that it would be like, Father, this ability that is beyond us, Lord. To love be genuine. Lord, to hate what is evil and to hold on to what is good. To love with this brotherly affection. Lord, I want to pray that betrayal to one another that I want to ask you to help us to fight that. That this morning there would be a just overwhelming sense of your love to help us to love in a way that, Lord, is beyond us supernaturally. Lord, I want to pray to ask for us to increase us to make us one. And I thank you that you could do that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.